So in early November, Zion and I were working on a project and we got done, we were tired, we hopped in the truck, uh, we're gonna head home. I threw on the radio and I thought I heard a traditional Christmas song. Now, I, I wasn't sure, I reached over and turned it up and sure enough, they had a traditional Christmas song playing and as soon as I turned it up, Zion said, no, that's not happening. And which is great, because Zion and I are somewhat in agreement on the boundaries for Christmas music. And so I reached over and changed the channel. Now, if Tracy would have been in the truck, this would have been a problem because she believes that you could listen to Christmas music or, and maybe even should all year round. It's, it's why we have um, rules in our family. So the driver controls the radio and you don't want the driver driving irritated or upset or anything. So they get to say, if they give up control of the radio, they've lost like anybody can listen to whatever they want and they have to deal with it. But I would never give up control with Tracy in the car because you could end up listening to Christmas music and that can't happen. So I thought this was just a fluke. We're listening to another station. Didn't really want to listen to that station. So uh, four minutes later, I switch back and there is another traditional Christmas song. And I realized Initially, I thought somebody like my wife had called in and requested a song and somebody thought, yeah, this is cute, let's do it. But some program director had decided that they were gonna play Christmas music the whole day at this station. I just turned it off. Uh, my boundaries are pretty clear with Christmas music. I like it for about four hours on Christmas morning. Our family gets up, we make a big meal together, we have a lot of fun, it's a pretty good time and that music plays in the background during that time. It's very nostalgic and I enjoy it. Outside of that, I don't like it very much at all. Now, I know there are strong opinions about Christmas music because I've heard them from people for a long period of time. They have opinions about when you should play Christmas music, what kinds of Christmas music you should play, what artists should play the Christmas music. And so I've heard all of this stuff before, including from my wife. And I think it's because these songs are tied to important memories for us. They, they bring up ideas or feelings that we have because they're so um, powerful. They're connected um, into our souls. It may be the reason why there's a lot of music in the Christmas story. I don't know if you know that. In Luke chapter one, there are easily four songs that are written down and sung. It's almost like it's a musical. Like, where did this happen? And, and we don't talk about it very much. Uh, the, the liturgical, more traditional churches, they talk about this stuff, actually sing some of these songs in their services because they're so connected to um, that past history. But, but we don't as much. And that's why over the next few weeks, we're gonna actually look at three of these songs. We're gonna take some time to ask why in the world is it there? What does it mean? What's significant about it? Why did it end up recorded as part of something that God wanted us to have a reference for? And so that's where we're gonna start. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter one, and I'm gonna come back in and we're gonna get started. I don't know if you've ever thought about writing a song. I've kicked it around a few times. I've never done it. But I kind of conclude that if I were going to write a song, it would have to come 
um, from something big in my life, either some difficult season that I got through or some mountaintop experience that was great, but something would have to motivate me to want to put that down and to remember it. So I, I don't know if you've ever done that, thought about it, that sort of thing. The, the reason I'm bringing it up is because in Luke chapter 1, three seemingly very normal people write a song. And maybe you would think, well, that makes sense because there's this monumental thing happening and they would want to remember it. And for most of them, maybe that's the case. But for the first writer of the first song in Luke, I'm not sure that holds up. I'm not sure that she would want to remember exactly what was going on at the time. Here's, here's what we know about Mary. We know that she was visited by Gabriel the angel who said, you're going to become pregnant. We don't know when that happens in the future. We don't know how long that takes, but she's been informed of this. We also know, based on the text, how she responds. The text says she's troubled, she's confused, she's afraid, which seems like a pretty reasonable response if you understand the setting that she's in. She's not in a culture that's very gracious for somebody who has a child outside of wedlock. As, in fact, there are serious consequences for that. And so there are some other things that we know. We know that she was put in a position. I, I don't know why I've gotten blank. Oh, that's it. She's put in a position that few would ever believe. Like if she said to somebody, I am pregnant, but it's not my responsibility how many people would buy that? See, the problem is, in her culture, we have no idea what Joseph is about to do. None. And one of his options that would have been considered okay, acceptable, everybody would have looked at it and said, that seems reasonable to me, is if he would have said, I want you to take her out and stone her to death. Everybody would have said, that's okay, let's do this. And she would have gone out and lost her life. These are the circumstances that we know about. And based on a best guess, we think Mary is probably 13 or 14 years old. Troubled, confused, and afraid. Seems fairly rational. And yet, she has enough composure at the end of this conversation with Gabriel, to say this. This is verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm a servant. Do it. I want you to see the last five words too. Then the angel left her. It's not that God abandoned her. God was always going to be a part of her story. But there is not another single solitary person who knows what's going on in her life. Troubled, confused, afraid, and now alone, not a great combination. And so it's not surprising what happens next. 
Because, uh, see, we know part of the story. We know that eventually angels are going to visit Joseph and explain to him that she needs some grace from him. But that has not happened yet. And part of, part of the difficulty when you read the text is we don't know the timing for all of this stuff. We tend to read it and think it happens, boom, 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 just like it's written here. I'm not sure that that's the case. Because she's told that she will become pregnant. Does she wait until she's confirmed that? Does she start to show some signs that, oh, I'm, I'm showing a little bit, I'm pregnant, I, I, I'm, gonna, this is, I'm gonna be found out? We don't know. But we do know that this happens next in verse 39. And again, I'm not sure it's right on top of verse 38. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Why would she go there? Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but one of the, one of the things that she's going to face is that her own family will reject her. If you wonder why she ends up having a baby in the place where the animals are stored, it's because her family doesn't care for her. They know that she's going to have this baby before the wedding takes place. Something's wrong. And she's going to have the consequences of this for a long period of time. So why in the world would she seek out family? Well, if you're paying attention the angel name dropped. Gabriel name drops Elizabeth. Suggests that she's facing something similar too. And Mary's about to walk into that house and kind of get a double blessing from her. One, she's about to talk to one other person in the world when she says, I'm, a, I'm having a miraculous birth. That Elizabeth's going to say, me too. Like, I... I don't know how this happened. I don't, this is weird. I, I know God did this. So she's about to have that conversation with somebody who's in a very similar kind of situation, which means she's also going to get this too. I believe you. I believe you. Now, again, we know this, but Mary doesn't. And as soon as she enters the house, her heart's got to be heavy. How am I going to unload this? How am I going to tell her? How am I going to reveal this stuff to Elizabeth? And she doesn't get the chance. She doesn't get the chance because the Holy Spirit comes on Elizabeth and she speaks first. And in verse 42, this is what she says. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. This had to be shocking to her. Shocking that somebody now knows her story and she hasn't revealed it. Probably felt a little bit of relief too. But I suspect the other shocking thing that happened was the, the two words that Elizabeth chose to use to describe her situation. They, they jump out, blessed. Blessed are you, blessed are the baby. How in the world do you see it that way? See, what's about to happen here is Mary's perspective is about to change. Because I think she's human just like the rest of us, and I don't know about you, this is how it works in my life. 
Most of my life could be going really well, but if there's one area that's off, there's one area that's giving me some trouble, that's where I focus. That's what gets my attention. It was a... This last week at Thanksgiving, all the family was in. We had just gotten done taking a picture. Everybody was in a good mood because the pictures were over. And um, the, the kids were running around the house. We had a grandkid kind of starting to do loops around the kitchen and living room. And it was a lot of fun. He was having fun. And I thought, man, I'm going to get in on this. And so I jumped up on the couch and the countertop and I straddled it and he ran under my legs and he had this big smile because I was like, oh, score, this is good. He likes this sort of thing. And as I climbed back down, I was like, that was a lot of work. That, that was a lot of work to make that happen. But I know he enjoyed it, so I'm going to do it another time. But this time, I'm going to cheat a little. I'm just going to throw myself up there halfway I only have to balance myself for two seconds as he scoots by, and then I can drop back down. I don't have to give it that much work. So he comes whipping around, and I throw myself up there, and apparently because I wasn't as high as the last time, he stopped right under me, which in my situation is not a good thing because I had designed this thing to last for two seconds. And he's under me, and I don't have the option of dropping down without crushing him. The only other option is not a good one. I fought it for two seconds, and then I went over backwards. I hit my head on the windowsill. I know that because I had a straight-line contusion bruise right across the back of my neck. Um, I smashed my tailbone on the ground. I did something to my hip. And I hit one of her planters so hard that it made my finger go numb. And of course, in the train wreck of it all, I was somehow able to take Liam down with me, right? So luckily, I only got his ear, but he's laying on the ground crying. I'm laying on the ground wanting to cry, but no, that's not okay, right? So um, he, he starts doing fine. A couple minutes later, he's running around the house. A couple minutes later, I am not running around the house. Like... Every time I moved, either my head or my body, I was reminded that I wasn't acting my age and I was a bit of a moron. And despite all the good things happening around me at the time, that's what held my attention. Now, if anybody, if anybody has a legitimate reason to have their attention held by bad stuff going on in their life, it's Mary. She does not know how the story is going to turn out. And yet, she has Elizabeth speaking into her life in a way that had to be shocking to her. By the way, this wasn't the only thing Elizabeth said. She said some other encouraging things too. You ought, you ought to go and read the whole story. It's kind of amazing what she says. But then what you find is that Mary gets to a place where she realizes there's a bigger picture going on here than just my situation. And she began to feel blessed. How do we know that? Because she writes a song. Now, I don't think that she heard the words of Elizabeth and then went out and wrote a song immediately. I think she reflected. I think she thought about it. And it, the song has signs of her really thinking deeply about what this all means. Because it's not just about her. It's much bigger than that. 
So let me show you. Let me show you some of the stuff that she pens as she takes time to consider what's really going on with her life. Verse 49 says this. This is about her. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Great things? You're facing rejection? A possible death sentence? You've got trouble. What is she talking about? See, she realized that she was just given purpose and meaning in a way that nobody else had ever experienced, that God had tapped her for this part of the story and that she just had to be a faithful servant in it. And so she looked at it and realized, this is, this is great. This is great. But it's not just her that she ended up being focused on. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She realized that before her, God had been faithful, that he was being faithful to her right now. He, she listened carefully to what the angel said, what he was doing. They were doing something dramatic right now that would follow into the future and change people's lives forever. And she knew God was acting from generation to generation. Verse 52, he lifted up the humble. Verse 53, he filled the hungry with good things. God was the author of all of these good things. Verse 54, he remembered to be merciful. And over and over again, you have this, these call-outs of the things that God was doing that was bigger than her. Band, if you're not on your way up here, I hope you are, or you hope you are making your way there now. The question is, what brought about this change? Because if you think about it, nothing has changed for her yet. She's still pregnant. Joseph still doesn't know. She's still going to face a family who rejects her, a whole community who will not treat her with respect. All of that is still in place. There's only one thing that changed. Mary's focus. She moved it off of all the stuff that she was facing that was going to give her hardship, and she started looking at the big picture of what God was doing. And she realized, all I have to do is my part. I have to be a servant in this process, and that's how I'm going to show God I love him, for his faithfulness that I've seen for years and years and years, and I know he's faithful to me now. And she writes this song, The Magnificent, sung in churches around the world still, an expression of gratefulness to God. No, we're not, we're not going to sing this song. But I ran across another song that I thought sounded like it could have come from the heart of Mary. Because there was a moment where she did run away. There was a moment where she was looking for cover, where she was looking for reassurance that she was going to be okay and all right and loved. And then there's something that changed in the story. When she realized all that I have to do is to love him back by being the servant, by, 
by doing my part. And that's all he's asking from me. And as I listened to this song and I thought about her life, it caused me to worship. And I'm hoping that maybe it'll do that for you too because I think this song could be written about Mary. But I think there's a chance it could also be written about you. So I'm going to ask you to listen carefully and see what the Spirit does in your heart. I don't think I'm probably ever going to write a song. Maybe you would. That's cool. I think that would be great. But I don't think um, God needs that as much as He wants us to love Him back by playing the role that He created us to play. It's really hard when your focus is on the wrong thing. So I'm sitting on the couch, sore, nursing my wounds and my ego, when a kind of moment of quietness came over and the Holy Spirit kind of interrupted me and said, hey, attention. And I looked over and the boys were all sitting at the dining room table playing a game, laughing and talking to each other. Others were sitting around the living room. The grandkids were interacting and running around as happy as could be. And God helped me see the bigger picture. And I hobbled myself over to Tracy and I gave her a hug and I said, God has been very good to us. And she affirmed it. Yeah, he has. Look at what we have. Look at what he's done on our behalf. The problem with anxiety and stress, he doesn't, your life could be going great, but if you've got an area of stress, it could just be stress. You're so focused on that. It gets your attention so much that you miss out on a truth that could change your whole perspective. What's the truth? You're blessed. I'm blessed. By a God who's acted in the past, who's acting in my life now, and who will be acting in the future. And if I can get that perspective right, could change the way I live, could change the way I think. And I've realized that if a a 13-year-old girl facing the circumstances that she's facing, see, she figured something out. She figured out that adoration is an antidote to the whole thing. You want to head off stress, you want to head off anxiety. You pour your heart into this God who has loved you and blessed you and the truth of that becomes an anchor. Mary had that. I think you can have that too. She had help. She had help from Elizabeth who spoke into her life. It reminded me of a section of scripture here that I want to offer up to you. Paul wrote this. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Mary had a sense of peace that did not match her circumstances. Did you know that's available for you? Christmas is right around the corner. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for all the stress to ramp up in your life. It's also an opportunity to focus on how good God has been, how good God is and how good he will be. And you get to make a choice. And I'm thinking if a 13-year-old can make that choice, so can we. You are blessed. May you remember the truth and respond back with the love that's just you doing your part in God's story. Can I pray with you? Guys, we're quiet for a minute. That the Spirit of God would show up in each and every heart, in each and every story this morning. Because there is stress in all of our lives. Sometimes it's worse than that. There are things that are going on that just eat us alive. They're hard, they're difficult. But God, I ask that you would fill our hearts with adoration for you. So we can remember that you are bigger than the stuff that we face. Our peace is found in you. May you become the source of our security, of our protection. May you use this time at Christmas to refocus our hearts and minds on things that matter. that will shape the way we think and talk and live. God, we ask that your spirit would do that for us. In Jesus' name.